Hi, I'm Siggy, born and raised in St. Catharines, Ontario, and now living in the nation's capital of Ottawa. And I'm Jazzy, born in Manila, Philippines, raised in Toronto, Canada, and schooled all over southwestern Ontario. You're listening to the Holo Holo Podcast, a delicious mix of pop culture and the Filipino-Canadian life. We at the Holo Holo Podcast acknowledge that our creative project spans these areas and territories and are grateful for the traditional knowledge keepers and elders who are with us today, those who have gone before us, and the youth that inspires us. We recognize the land and benefits it provides all of us as an act of reconciliation, as recommended by the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's 94 Calls to Action, and gratitude to those whose territory reside on, work on, or are visiting. I'm podcasting from the traditional unceded territory of the Algonquin and Nishtabe people. And I'm podcasting from the traditional lands of the Huron-Wendat, the Seneca, and most recently, the Mississaugas of the Credit River. It's our main episode, and it is the first of our December series episodes, so happy holidays already. But before Uh we get into Princess and Dancer, the musical, and the hopefulness of Filipinos, which, believe it or not, all ties into the holiday (laughs) theme. Six, let's catch up. What have you been up to pop culture-wise? Well, here's the thing. Listeners, Jesse and I got to reconnect. Mm-hmm. He was just in Ottawa this past weekend. Yes. I'm just laughing because this past weekend, I was told that I need to catch up on pop culture. <laughs> so a friend of the podcast, my yes. darling friend Ray, who went to see Prison Dancer with us. Hey, Ray. We went out for dinner before with lovely Julia on Elgin, mm. and then we had a drink before the musical started. But what made me laugh is Ray and Jez suddenly went on, I don't know, like uh, <laughs> Quite a, a tangent, tangent a, a rabbit tangent, hole, a rabbit hole, both of them with their drinks, <laughs> Ray with like a wine, Jesse mm-hmm. with a gin and tonic, yes, talking yes. about below deck. Right. Now I've never seen these two who are purely academic people, Jesse so much more, and I know Ray's very bright also. They were just holding their drinks saying, I can't believe this. And they were just in it to win it. 15 minutes of them talking about it. And they just looked at me and Ray goes, listen, I would like you to watch Below Deck. Yeah, totally. Can you please? Yes. And Jez was like, and Jez uh-huh. just killed me. Jez, you look like a 70s like lady of the town being with a cigarette and a drink. Going, I totally agree. I agree. And just, you guys both had your drinks clinking with the yes, ice. Yes, we and totally the did. I was dying laughing listening to these two. And the whole time I was like, I guess my pop culture catch-up or assignment for the holidays is I have to watch a season of Below Deck. You have to. It's... I, it's quite an interesting it- version of reality television. And I know Ray would back me up on here. It's salacious. It's delicious. And I can't believe that you haven't watched it but, yet. But to listen to the two of you just mm-hmm. go on a, a tirade and it just killed me. And it, you know what, folks? If you were watching us, you could have thought that Jez and Ray were talking about like politics. I guess we're going to seriously find holding drinks incredulously. Like, I can't believe this. I don't understand. But if you came in and listened, they're totally talking about, well, in Australia, that person was just horrid and they don't know how to talk. Like, that's it was right. ridiculous. It was super funny. It was very funny. true. It was super funny. It was super fun. Ray and yeah. I had such a great discussion going down this wonderful rabbit hole. And we just couldn't believe that you weren't a part of that journey. I mean, we get that you were observing and watching and taking delight in what we were talking about because we were so lost in the thick of discussing the franchise, the franchise extension, all of the drama that goes on around it, (laughs) all the politics that go on around it. I literally thought you were going to take out a microphone to be like, it's your turn. And you just see me with like big eyelashes looking left to right going, 
I now I will take upon that. <laughs> See later this season, Ray to come back on a taste test. We'll, we'll do a little below deck. Oh, ditty. totally. I totally. promise. Yeah. I just it was just the energy to harness could have like toasted a whole have bunch had of bread, a, a whole m- bunch like of bread. A, a roving microphone or something like that. Like, I think oh, you, I think you, tiny mics. You guys you killed could me, have though. totally recorded us, and we could have had that as a bonus episode. Oh, it, it totally like would have been a bonus. Sure. We'll make it a, some a formal taste test. Kuya, pop culture catch up with you. What have you been into? Well, Michael and I have finally dipped back into the Gilded Age, which oh. is on its season two. And right. it's got like Cynthia Nixon and Christine Baranski and a whole cast of characters at the turn of the century mm-hmm. in the late 1800s, as we see industrial action and lots of building of railroads and essentially the building of the New York City Society elite. So it's been wonderful to watch all these people in these gowns. I mean, it's ridiculous and it's opulent, but it's so much fun. And that the catastrophe each episode is like we were served clam chowder as opposed to anything else. (laughs) It's just a different world. And it's been fun to kind of watch it and get away and think about anything but, you know, what's going on today's society. So it's a nice bit of respite to watch. I don't know if you've gotten into the Gilded Age, but the reason why we totally got into it was because of Downton Abbey. Julian Fellows uh, that does wrote make sense. Downton Abbey. That right? makes sense. It has also been the producer for the Gilded Age. So it's fun to watch that way, and it has kind of quenched our Downton Abbey fixation a little bit without having to watch the entire series kajillionth time and a half. So Well, and let's be honest, Christine Baranski... Come on. Oh my God. She's a masterclass in acting. So wonderful to watch. And she just plays this flippant Aunt Ida. And she is is quite the matriarch off of Fifth Avenue in an old moneyed home in some walk-up Victorian, I think brownstone or some sorts like that. I don't really know the architecture, but it's been just fun to watch and fun to see everyone parading around in their fascinators and in their, again, ballroom gowns and just seeing how ornate and luxurious everything is. Yeah, so that's what I've been up to pop culture-wise. Now, Speaking of more pop culture, you and I, of course, the reason why you, me, and Ray, and why you were observing Ray and myself, (laughs) drinking it up as we shared our thoughts about Below Deck, was because the three of us got to see Prison Dancers. So, Sigs, like, tell our listeners all about Prison Dancer the musical. Now... For our listeners, Prison Dancer as a musical was inspired by a 2007 viral YouTube video where 1,500 inmates in a maximum security prison in Cebu. Now, this was written by Carmen Lalani de Jesus and Romeo Candido and directed by Nina Lee Aquino. Who was on the podcast. (laughs) It was on the podcast for The Waltz. Now, even if you weren't that familiar with this YouTube sensation. Mm-hmm. What I loved is that they started off talking about it when they had the heart of the show and the narrator sort of the person behind the scenes saying, Hey, did you hear about this? And sort of brought us right in. And there's some people not. And so I'm sure it was like, I didn't really quite hear about it, but remember thriller 2007. I mean, that was a while ago, but yeah. it was based and inspired of this. Now you have a little bit of history regarding this musical, right? Yes, yes, yes. I was going to say six that I had seen a very early version and workshop version of Prison Dancer. No way. Almost a decade ago, I think, at wow. the Bathurst Street Theater. Yeah, and Romeo basically on keyboard directing the entire cast off of that. It was very fun to see. And I just thought, oh, this has so much potential. And Mm -hmm. so here we are a decade later watching it. And what a great way to kind of 
kick off December, as far as I'm concerned, oh, in terms my goodness. Of episodes this month that, you know, when I think about December, I think of song and music, you know, last year was spirited and <laughs> all those other things. Well, just the ironic part is, is that this is set in the PNDC and Cebu. So I think it stands for like the... Philippine National Detention Center or something like that. I think so. That's what I yeah. Think, yeah. And so what better place to have Filipino musical but there? And interestingly enough, this entire musical has a showstopper number that revolves around Christmas. So it was fun to see <laughs> all of the paroles kind of coming down and exactly. you know, being celebrated. So, and the interesting part too, Sigs, and I'm sure that you felt a little bit of chills just like me, is watching an all-Filipino cast about the yes. Philippines written by Filipino-Canadian playwrights on a large regional stage known as the National Arts Center in Ottawa. How incredible is that? Did that not give you chills or what? I was, I'm getting chills now. I was so excited and it was just so cathartic because even the script had Tagalog words. And I know there was a gloss where you explain it. I didn't need it, obviously, because I, but when my parents were passionate about expressing themselves in their mother tongue, it just hit right when lines were delivered Mm. and people, it was just littered throughout. And I loved it. I loved it. And I'm sure I I could have leaned over to Ray, like he might, Powis means sweat. Yes, you know, yes, yes. And Kolokahan means, you know, you're crazy and stuff. It was but just, even if you didn't know it, you could still the understand context, what you was going get on. It. Totally. And it was totally. just, I was so proud. Yeah, I was like, so proud. I was proud to be Filipino. I was, I'm being like, that's, and I like say this as my, as my mother says it, there's talented people on that stage. <laughs> A and lot I of talented it. people on that stage for sure. Musical, smiling, telling stories of these Filipinos. Amazing, amazing, right? And the hallmarks of things we've talked about on the podcast, whether it's a love team, a love quarrel, Balak Bayan box, the hallmarks of our culture just throughout. Also, not being afraid to show the brokenness of certain parts of the Philippines, too, right? You know, and so. In as much as it was a musical and like what Filipino doesn't love musical because Sigs, after all, we're just festive people, aren't we? After all, (laughs) Um, I've been called that by many people (laughs) and you have to describe they're just so festive. We're so festive people, right? And that's watching a musical. That's right. I have to say, when I did see it almost a decade ago, I was impressed with it then and I'm blown away from it now, just seeing how it's grown and evolved over the decade and explores all these amazing themes. It's not only just, funnily enough, a musical in an odd place, but it also like explores themes of finding and keeping your dignity. And like what I said earlier, how a broken system can't keep Filipino resilience down. For me, what was interesting was seeing it mounted 10 years later. I appreciate how Romeo and, and Carmen reference and make meta-awareness of what it now means to be a viral sensation by looking at the recent past. True. You know, that so that's true. really that interesting. I kind of forgot that this thriller dance by almost a thousand inmates at the PNDC in Cebu was actually a, the, one of the first viral sensations. And, you know, now it's like, we don't even think twice about people becoming viral. But back then, that was huge. It was and huge. the other thing that I really appreciated about this mounting of what was originally a Citadel production, which is a, another large regional theater in Edmonton, Edmonton, what was fascinating was just seeing a queer joy love story being at the center of it all that was being told along the way. So to me, that was very touching just to see that being centered 
throughout this entire play. And I was just thinking to myself, this is on a, you know, at the National Arts Center in Ottawa, like a national regional play. So kudos to Nina Lee Aquino, who, of course, directed it, but is also the artistic director at the NAC. NAC. Just fantastic. I mean, so those were some of the things that I, I was thinking about. And just a true labor of love. Like, to me, you could totally tell it was a labor of love. And Sings, I don't know about you, but I think it has the potential to go to Broadway. Like, if Romeo and Carmen and all the backers of that can find the right set of people, and I'm sure they're probably talking about it because it deserves a larger run than just two weeks at the NAC. And in fact, I I hope it comes to Toronto and other places too. I hope it goes to Toronto. I hope it goes to California. Yes. I have a feeling this. I almost want to be like, oh, I saw that before I went to Broadway. That's love how to I feel say like. that. You're not going to talk that. I think we may say that because I think that's happened to six. I think that's what happened to Hades Town. And come from away. Yeah. Come from and away. Yeah. It is possible. So I, I wish them luck, and I want it to happen only simply because I don't know about you, six. I kept thinking to myself, "Oh, I can't wait for my parents to see this. Oh, I'd like my sisters and my nephews my and cousins. Yes, my fr- you know? other Filipino friends or anyone to go see this. There was so much energy, and at the end, they harnessed like the floor's energy, everyone's energy in the theater, and everyone was up on their feet, taking part and being part of the dance. Right? Yeah. So, what a golden story. You know, where people find their dignity and people find love and people find hope. And we'll talk a little bit about all of these in just a second in the most unusual of places. Now, Sigs, when I was watching this, and I think you know this about me when I'm taking in pop culture, I always think about what is the message? What is the thesis, you know, in terms of what people are putting out, right? So I was thinking to myself, what I was taking away in terms of the message that Romeo and Carmen were putting out in terms of this musical was four things. The first is dancing gives life. Oh, yes. The second is take responsibility for your life. And then the third was asking for what you need. And the other message that I kind of thought about after thinking about it on the plane ride home from Ottawa back to Toronto was Hope can exist in even the most difficult of places. But let's talk about each of those different messages in time. Mm -hmm. So when I think about kind of like dancing gives life, as you had mentioned, one of the major characters, Lola, played by the amazing Julio Fuentes. Oh, my goodness. Delivers this message. Amazing, amazing performance and shows that dancing was not only about rehabilitation, because I think that that's how it was framed. And that's how it was always framed to the world back in 2007. But it also gave him life and confidence. You know, it allowed him to live and get away from using drugs and using shabu and all of that stuff. So to me, the message is more than just escaping the pains of life. He found life by leaning into dancing. And in as much as he, it was a first an escape for him, mm-hmm. it was a healthy escape. It was interesting how he turned it around and that, yes, we all in some ways dance to escape our prisons, but we're also dancing towards life. And it doesn't matter if it's dancing, if it's sewing, it's knitting, it's whatever is that you're passionate about. That's really what you have to embrace. And that's what I saw Lola, played by Julio Fentes, was doing, was embracing dancing. And Better to lean into the messiness and difficulty of life instead of avoiding it through drugs is what I really got away from that. And for him, dance was just one way to lean into life. And again, not living into our prisons. 
So I don't know what you thought about that, but I, that was something that I took away. I do have to agree with that. And he, with his dance and music and, oh, the bowis, the sweat that he put <laughs> into it, you know, he seemed to raise himself to another level. Yeah. Now, Lola was part of a love team with the character of Shakespeare, yes, who's yes. like the insider drug dealer. And you see their relationship sort of chronicled throughout and how the relationship with dancing of Lola going, we can focus on this and yeah. we can use this as this breath of life and how, you know, Shakespeare was going down different paths. And I, I don't want to spoil it, but there's such mm-hmm. a, a turn of events and there's such drama between this love team. And I like saying, I love you. They are fellow leader of yeah. this love team of Lola and Shakespeare, which was so well done and so cathartic. When we're riding all this humor and emotion, Lola takes it and it can take us to those little darker places of yeah. sadness and yeah. emoting. It was beyond well done but when i think of lola as the main of this and giving life and giving life to this whole musical this character is sincerely the heart of what's driven and Mm. at the point where they band together to ensure that this heart beats on which we'll talk about in a little bit it it was essential and i i love how you capture that dancing gives life and lola is that is that element where we see the growth and how it's that escaping the prison, such yeah. a great metaphor. Escaping the have. prism and that it's yeah. more than just a form of rehabilitation. It's actually right. giving people life. The other theme that I really walked away with was that idea of taking responsibility for your life. It's to be expected because we're talking about prison. People are coming to prison or people are being sentenced to prison in order to hopefully take responsibility for whatever it was that they had done. But I thought it was more than just kind of taking responsibility for your crimes. It was really taking responsibility for everything in your life. And I think for me, I saw that a lot through the character of Christian Serrano, played by Darren Dihenko, you know, where he really struggles with taking responsibility for his life. And we see him finding a way and eventually the humility to step up for himself and for the community that he found at the Philippine National Detention Center in Cebu, as well as his family. And I know that you love this song. I love this song. I think it totally comes out in this idea of Evermore, which to our delight, we both found the soundtrack on Apple Music as well as on Spotify. And folks, you have to listen to this song because it's played by... Christian Seriano's girlfriend, Cherish, who sings this song so beautifully and he accompanies on and really talks about, yes, a happy ending, but that's what you get those happy endings after you take responsibility for your lives and not actually shunning it away. And also makes the point, I thought, in terms of this musical, it's so easy to blame others or the circumstances or society for our problems. Really, I walked away from this musical thinking to myself, yeah, like the more we can take responsibility and not blame others, the more happier we'll all be. So that's that was another important message that I walked away with when watching Prison Dancer the musical. This theme that takes the arc of the other love team with Christian and Cherish, played by the lovely Diana Del Rosario. I really wanted to say her name was amazing. There's a song called mm. Evermore that was that she sang and with Christian and sort of singing in the background. Mm. The song on Spotify and Apple does not do it justice. Mm -hmm. If you hear it in person, Diana slash Cherish, she pushes through. There's a line she sings about staying together forever. And when she sang it in person, it Mm -hmm. wasn't a musical. And, you know, when we see a musical, you think in your head of, oh, what does a musical sound? Like, this was R&B. It was, she pushed right through. And, like, when she pushed, I think that's when I looked at you. I'm like, this 
Mm-hmm. Like this song, and you yeah. know, I looked at each other like, yeah, yeah. I re- yeah. Diana Del Rosario, love you, cherish. It was one of my favorite songs of the. Like there was many more favorite songs of the show, but there was such a deep breath that you felt when she belted out. And people, like, she just entranced people. Her voice was amazing. Um, This love team followed that arc about responsibility, and Kuya really captured it. It's not just for that crime. It's, like, the responsibilities. And as you see the arc between Cherish and Christian as a couple and how they sort of, Cherish's character sort of, like, knocks, sort of, like, touches points with Shakespeare's character. Right, right, right. In passing, it was just greatly crafted plot. And, it was um, greatly crafted, and she yeah. certainly had the emotion that really convinced Christian Seriano, that character, to actually take responsibility. And it was more than just about kind of doing the right thing. I know that it, what, you know, it, culture yeah. is all about kind of like you have to do the right thing. That's right. But really, it wasn't about him feeling guilty to do the right thing. I felt that he was stepping up to take responsibility. And that's what I really enjoyed about this kind of sub story or sub arc in Prison Dancer. This idea that, yeah, like if we can all take responsibility, won't we all have a happy ending? Isn't that what we're all looking for? And it's difficult. Like it's yeah. not easy to take responsibility. It's no. messy, it's sticky, it's yucky. But if you lean into it, good things can come out of it. And that's where Evermore or Forevermore or the happy ending eventually comes. But you don't get to that happy ending without a lot of work. And I thought that that's what I saw Christian do, at least played by Darren Dihenko in in all of this. And again, I don't want to give any spoilers. Their arc, it just, it turns. And Diana, I, I swear to God, Diana, if I you come on the show. I love oh my you. God, you were totally, so great. Yes. She also captured like a cathartic scene where an action is done. She deals with it. And the and the crowd was silent. Mm. And as soon as she did something, did you hear that person? You I heard that heckle. I heard yeah, that heckle. heckle. Like, yeah, 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 what yeah, an yeah. idiot. I just, I'm not going to spoil it. You're going to have to go watch this show. But yeah. she just, people were on her side. It was visceral. People were with the character of Cherish. It was, yeah. it was wonderful. Loved it, loved it, loved that. it. Yeah. The other message that I took away from the show was this idea of ask for what you need. I always think of it as getting your needs met. But this was simply about asking for what you need. And throughout Prison Dancer the Musical, we see this discussion of trying to get your needs met. But it's either met through some type of transaction where you get your needs met by exchanging something for another, a favor, meaning then that you owe someone down the road, or some type of manipulation. And I think you kind of saw that all throughout, that People's needs were met through one of these things. And that subtle messaging, there was subtle messaging that instead of making your needs met by one of these conditions, by the end of the musical, we understand that it's better to say what you need and accept the possibility that you might not get what you actually need. That's exactly. It takes a lot of courage. It's like, I'm going to tell you what you need and you may actually say no to me. You may not actually give me what I need. And yet it's still powerful to ask what you need without any conditions surrounding it. And I think that the power in asking for what you need without any conditions is how you do so knowing that you can find it for yourself if need be. I saw that clearly in Lola. It came through towards the end where it's like, I don't care. This is what I need. And if you can't give it to me, I'm going to move on. And if you do give it to me, then a happy ending here. And I just thought, wow, what a wonderful message to send out there to people. Yeah, and you say that, you, your words just say, and it was so many levels, right? And it, that Very was so many, many levels, plots, yeah. Whether it was 
Lola and the Warden, Lola yes. and Shakespeare, yep. Lola and the Prison Life. Right. And right. It, it, that's all three levels. Bam. All three levels, yeah. like whether it was through a transaction, a favor, a manipulation. That's but right. Lola towards the end, just realizing that it's like, I just got to ask for my what I need. And if people can't give it to me, I'm still going to be okay. I'm still going to be okay. Like, how amazing is that message? I don't think we get that message enough. That was a beautiful, subtle message that I found watching this musical that I didn't see maybe a decade ago. And somehow Prison Dancer ties this all together and wraps up how loving others is also about meeting each other's needs. And I thought beautifully said, beautifully told to this musical. I don't want to forget this or whatever. When we talk about all these themes, mm-hmm. it was clearly captured in a lot of the songs, whether they were comedic or whether they were mm-hmm. doing mm-hmm. time or just their points of view, being on the inside evermore, like the Christmas morning and is it love, like Lola's team home. They emoted all these type of themes through it. And I just want to give props to the musical director, Kiersey Rand. I'm going to get his name. Kuya, you have to edit this. Um <laughs> Kiersey ran Rigozo and Jose Garcia. Jesse and I were cheering for them at the end. They were just right, closing yeah. up and they just gave us props back and mm-hmm. they're glad we enjoyed the music. And I just have to say, it, you know, it was a musical, but Romeo, his musical team, the vibe was like R&B, hip hop. Like he, they took it to a different place. And I don't want to sound cheesy. And I, Jesse, you mentioned it before. Like, I feel like, Romeo is like our Lin-Manuel Miranda for the Filipinos. Yeah, I really do. I feel it. I think given enough resources and enough space and enough ways so that he could flourish, he could be that our version of Lin-Manuel Miranda. You know, high compliments for sure, but I think he deserves it because Romeo not only has done this, he's produced Top Line, written for Top Line. Yeah, Directed the son of a crutch. Yeah, that's right. And so quite an amazing creative to say. They... Last message that I took away, which lends itself really well to this theme of hopefulness of Filipinos, and interestingly enough, to our listeners out there, Sigs and I always knew that this first episode of December, as we kick off the holiday season, would be about hopefulness. But it was even more poignant, the fact that after watching this, I found that this entire musical centered around this idea of hope, and that hope can exist anywhere. And I think Lola says it best where who would have thought that you would have found hope in the most hopeless of places. And that remark really stuck with me at the end. And this resonates with me because when I think about an enduring quality of our culture, it's how hope-filled we are. Would you agree, Six, that we're very much a hopeful people, whether in the diaspora or in the Philippines? I think so because we we want to have that positivity. And I think we enforce that for that hopefulness or the wistfulness of like, things will be better. Things will be okay. Yeah. You can, let's continue. Let's continue for sure. I sometimes think that hope has always stood for hang on pain and that's so good. That's right. You said that before. I've said that before. True. But I want to say a little bit more about what, hope is. It is indeed about enduring because it's knowing that once the pain ends, something great is going to be around the corner. But it's also recognizing that there are many ways to accomplish one's goal and not giving up as a result. So even if one path closes or one door closes on you, there's got to be another door, even if you don't know where it is. And it really relies 
hope at least, relies on us being creative and recognizing that there are many paths to the same goal. And I think sometimes what happens, Ziggs, is some of us lose hope because we think that there's only one path. But I always talk about thinking that if this path is no longer available to us, let's be creative and let's look for another path. There's got to be another path. The other thing that I think about with respect to hope is that it really relies on us not giving up which again is really related to that idea of hold on pain ends. Yes, that's (laughs) true. But it also is part and parcel to this idea that as Filipinos and Filipinos in the diaspora, we are a resilient people. And the reason why is this idea of being disaster proof. The Philippines is subject to all these weather difficulties, whether (laughs) it's volcanoes or typhoons or brownouts brownouts and all of this stuff. We're still disaster proof and we still happen to have a smile on our face is what I think the world knows about us. And I think we take that in stride. And I think when you couple that with resilience, we tend not to give up. And I think that this is why we seem to be a hopeful set of people or culture out there. I think the other thing, too, in terms of hope is that it relies on us being able to accept and change one's course when it doesn't become viable. So that's related to that idea that there are many ways to the same place. Mm -hmm. And it's the idea that, okay, if this doesn't work, let's try to do something else. And I'll always remember sometimes when I'm working with my dad on a renovation of some sort, (laughs) he just says to me, Anak, this is just a problem that we haven't solved yet. (laughs) And I always just think, oh my gosh, Dad, you're so hope-filled in some ways, just knowing that we have to puzzle something out. And I think that that applies to most Filipinos, that it's like, okay, well, if we've been thwarted this way, you know, let's accept that and not be wedded to this one idea and if we can change course. Now, Sigs, I've I've got two kind of like observations I want to get your take on this. Now, in my experience, I see Filipinos applying these ideas that I've just talked about in terms of hope, where there's many ways to the same place and acknowledging that you don't have to stick to one path and that we can be creative about it and be resilient about it. And that's why we are sometimes characteristically known for hope. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of Filipinos applying these ideas of hope to relationships, family, and people. So it's that idea that, you know, we don't give up on each other or on our right. families. Sometimes we give lots and lots of chances to people that perhaps maybe in other cultures might not be so accepting or giving yes. or generous in those chances. Right. Some people might say, oh, as Filipinos, we might be too generous, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But I think that has to do with the fact that we see hope or we give hope to a lot of people. Now, where I'm perplexed is how Mm -hmm. Filipinos in the diaspora don't seem to apply this idea of hope when it comes to their work and professional lives. Instead, if someone experiences any struggle in our work and professional lives, it's suddenly not met with hope, but that idea of bahalana, as opposed to thinking that we can just pivot and find a different path going forward. So I'm wondering what you think about that. And I keep wondering about why is that? Why is it that we don't actually apply hope, which comes naturally to us when we think about ourselves as a culture? We think about it in terms of people and relationships, but we don't think about it in terms of our work and our professional lives. Any ideas about that? No, I found it such a great question. I was looking over your notes and I'm like, you know what? It's so true. Hmm. I think with for the job and I'm... And I'll speak from my experience, like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. here in the Western culture, like there is a reality that is not just hope that gets us to our goals. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hope helps us. I like to re- reiterate the points that you do said. Hope mm-hmm. helps us think that gets us to our goal. Hope helps us put us in the right mindset. Right. But in work, professional life, there's a realization that there is some work involved that doesn't require hope. There needs to be searching or networking. Perhaps if we use hopefulness in the search of connecting with others, it may lead to other opportunities or mm-hmm. even things where you may require training that you need to get. Right, right. And it takes time. We know that that's not hope. That's that's planning, making sure that those funds are available to you mm-hmm. or having the right opportunities too that you can take advantage there may be a recognizing that there's other avenues we can take to achieve a goal but anecdotally i always think you know this hope and with prayers you know there's been jobs i've been up for or goals that i've i've Mm -hmm. done Mm -hmm. and a lot of people oh we prayed for you anak or and thank you i appreciate that Mm -hmm. i I, Mm -hmm. I love i've had a lot of prayer warriors too exactly you know what i mean where Mm -hmm. yes but you and i both know clea it's you waking up early doing all the work and organizing right. that time to get yep. your your PhD or me studying French to get my levels, yep. to work hard, yep. those late nights, yep. putting myself out there. It's both. I think we need to separate the fact, not separate, but the fact, but the hopefulness puts us in the right mindset. Yeah. Like you said, this isn't a problem we haven't solved. What do I need to do to solve this problem? Do I need those French levels? Do I need to find a job which challenges me on skills that I need to do, whether it be finance or HR, or am I finding the right opportunities? Who do I need to align myself with or network with to find the opportunities that will get me to my goal? Solely, hope's part of that mechanism. Hope fuels it. Right. So we can get to those spaces. Does that make sense? What are your thoughts? It totally makes sense. That's how I've always thought about hope. You know, we Mm -hmm. have lots of hope again for people and family and relationships. In terms of how I've used hope in my career and in my professional life, I've always thought to myself, this powers me to actually look for different things to achieve the goals that I've set out for myself or find different paths that right now might not seem so evident, but the minute I infuse any of those actions with respect to my work and professional lives and hope is powering that, that's where my creativity comes. That's where I learn to accept that, okay, this path is closed, so let's look for another. Let's start networking. Let's start being creative. Let's start looking for novel ways of still trying to get to the ultimate end goal, whatever that end goal might be. But you're right. Hope has always been a mechanism. And I think for the holidays, you know, and this kind of leads us to the fixing of our week, which is, is that when I've seen other Filipinos have high hopes about their careers and work, I've seen them be successful, just like you, just like myself and other Filipinos that I've seen. Again, infusing hope in what they do in terms of career and work. Right. So during this hope-filled season, you know, I would say to all Filipinos in the diaspora, use your natural way of being hopeful to not only just apply to family and friends during this holiday season, but also give it to yourself as a gift, meaning use it in your work and in your professional lives. So that's kind of where I would want to encourage all our listeners is use hope as a mechanism to prepare you, to propel you rather, in all the things that you do professionally and work-wise and work-related. I think that was well put. Folks, We love email. If you watch Prison Dancer and have the opportunity to see it at the NAC or in Edmonton, email us. Tell us how it went. Halahalopopculture at gmail.com. The Halahalo podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe, rate us, leave a review. We love to hear the reviews. And 
you can find us on social media. I stand on Instagram at Hollow Hollow Pop Culture. <laughs> follow us. I'll follow you back. I love looking at pictures. Jesse and I love connecting with people. We do. We do. Especially we had a bunch of you guys from Prison Dancer follow us. Greatly appreciated. Finally, we receive editorial feedback from Mary Beth Badian. Our musical theme is by Cheltering, and we'll see all of you again real soon. If you have a chance, Prison Dancers playing through until December 2nd. Go get those tickets before they leave. See ya. Yeah. <laughs>